0: Let's take a moment and let's welcome uh, those at our First Norfolk on Volvo location. If you would, let's welcome them to our worship gathering. And I want to welcome you and thank you for being here. Yes, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This is a promise from Jesus at that point in time, to a guy named Nicodemus. But it's also a promise of Jesus to us today. And really, that's why we're here. We're here, I'm here, uh, to celebrate that wonderful truth of God's love invading time and space, invading human history, invading a world of darkness to bring life, to bring life to those of us all of us who need it, and today we get together and, and this is easter and and for many of us, this is a very special day as we celebrate the the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and some of you might not buy into that, not, I understand it, it seems a little fanciful, a little big, a little bit of a stretch for perhaps your imagination or your rational thought process, but that is the core, fundamental, foundational truth that I have in my life, that Jesus is not dead, He is alive. And for the church, uh, we were built upon the bedrock of that promise that Jesus is not dead, He is alive. And so here we are, and, and maybe you're here and... and and you're here because your grandmother asked you to come. And that's okay. That's good. I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm excited about that. And maybe you're here because uh, your boyfriend or your girlfriend asked you to come. And again, that's good. I'm glad. Maybe you're here because this is what you grew up doing. You went to a church on Easter Sunday. And if that's you, I'm excited that you're here. We're thrilled that all of you, uh, all of us have gotten together because regardless the reason why you're here, make no mistake, God has a bigger purpose for all of us being here and there is something that, that He wants to do in our lives here and now. And so my prayer is that today you and I would uh, open our mind and our heart to the truth that God would share with us, that that we would uh, turn our hearts and minds toward Uh, this amazing history-changing, whether you believe it or not, it changed history, this history-changing event called the resurrection. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. We're going to look at the story of the resurrection as described by the apostle John. And In John chapter 20, we hear the record of uh, the next day. Now, the previous days... Um, John 19, as you're turning to John 20, let me catch you up a little bit. John 19 is the story of Jesus being killed, that he was crucified on a cross. Nothing really unusual about that in in, in terms of world events. This was just another guy killed by uh, the Roman government for certain crimes or no crimes from our perspective. Um, in, In terms of Of history. You wouldn't think it'd make much of a difference, but it certainly has. In John 19, Jesus was killed, not because he had done crimes, but because of the purpose of God. He was killed, but he was really killed. I mean, there wasn't any make-believe death here. When they pulled him off the cross, uh, he was not breathing. There was no life left in his body, and he was taken to a tomb. He didn't have a tomb. A, A rich guy named Joseph of Arimathea he had a tomb, and so they, he, he gave his tomb up for Jesus in honor of Jesus and the life that he had lived, but his, his life was over. Jesus was dead. And if you're like me, you know when people die, there's no coming back from that, right? I mean, can we all agree that death is pretty much done? I, I've done literally uh, o- over 1,000 funerals, and I've yet to see someone come back. You know what I'm talking about? So Jesus was dead. And in the mind of everyone, it was done. Until we come to John chapter 20. So Jesus is killed on a Friday. Then you have Saturday where nobody does anything because that was the Sabbath. And then Sunday, early in the morning, as early as she could get there, we have Mary Magdalene, beginning of verse 1. Now on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, and she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb, and they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first, and, and he stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloths lying there and and he didn't go in then simon peter came following him and and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths but folded together in a place by itself then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and he believed for as yet they did not know the scripture that Jesus must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now I want you to, I want you to take note of Mary. Okay, we, we hear about Mary in verse 1 and 2. Now she's reintroduced in verse 11. And, and I want us to kind of focus in on Mary for the rest of our time together. Okay, Verse 11. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they they said to her, Dear lady, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Dear lady, why are you weeping? Whom? Are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will, I will get him and take him away. And, and Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is translated teacher. As we look at this encounter between Jesus and the resurrected Uh, between the resurrected Jesus and Mary, I I want us to uh, kind of put our place in Mary's sandals. See her journey and see our journey. Everyone, everyone here, uh, everyone outside of here, everyone that has ever been born, let me tell you, this is is not just Eric Thomas truth, and this isn't just First Norfolk truth. This is the truth of philosophy and historians, everyone. Everyone is searching for relief and release from the pain of their sorrow. Everyone everyone is searching for relief and release from fear over tomorrow. Everyone, everyone here, all of us, are searching for release and relief from defeat and despair of death and loss. Every person here, we have this in common. We have it in common with Mary herself. We long to escape the prison that is created from the pain of our sorrow, the fear of our tomorrow, and the despair and defeat of death. We want to be freed from that. And so, as we look at the encounter between Jesus, the risen one, and Mary Magdalene, and ourselves this morning, I pray that we would understand that Just as Jesus predicted in John 3.16, he is living out here, and we can accept here today that God's love has paved a road to victory through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. God's love, his great, amazing, powerful, life-changing love has paved a road to victory for all of us us who would believe on Jesus. Now make no mistake, it's got to be that way. Now if you go down a few sentences in John 20, go all the way down to verse 31. You see that the very reason John the Apostle was writing this book called the Gospel of John, the very reason he was writing it was uh, spelled out there. These things John writes, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, here it is, you may have life in his name. That that we might live, not a half-life, not a portion of a life, not a life that is here and gone, not a life that is impotent and weak, but a life that is full and complete without any missing parts. And that's what we long to have. We want to have a life without any missing parts, but it's just out of our reach if it weren't for Jesus. So when, when we look at Mary Magdalene, we need to understand that, that she was walking through a, a maze of her own misery. She was walking through pain and discomfort. She, she was living out the, the pain of her sorrow she was experiencing fear for her tomorrow she was she was overwhelmed by despair because of death. it was the death of Jesus we hear in verse uh, 11 and 12 and on down in verse 15 Jesus, uh, it, Mary was weeping and she was weeping now when we talk about weeping in our civilized American Americanized emotional uh, 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 placated culture, we have this, have this idea of weeping as a, a very dignified thing. You know, we, when we weep, and especially us guys, we weep, we have tears maybe that roll down our cheeks, but, but we wipe them away quickly and that's about all we get, right? Uh, maybe if something really, really challenging happens, we may have a, a little bit of sobbing, right? Um. When when the Bible talks about Mary Magdalene weeping, the very language of the original text, the the very language of it is more than just some dignified cry. She hadn't been coached not to cry like a baby. That's exactly what she, it was an ugly cry. Y'all know ugly crying? Face contorted, body convulsing. She was weeping. And anyone who passed by could see it. And it was a natural thing to see that in a graveyard. And that's, that's what was happening. Mary was a mess. Had to learn a little bit more about Mary Magdalene and, and something that's important for us as we, as we see ourselves in her place. What, what I want us to understand is Mary Magdalene was a hot mess before she met Jesus. Uh, she was an overwhelmingly hot mess. And 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 that's saying it kindly, and I don't wanna I don't want to get too graphic here, but but her life, from from, from the relationships that she had and she right uh, chased away to the actions that stemmed from emotions that were out of control, she was a hot mess. In Mark chapter 16, verse 9, it says that she had seven. Uh, evil spirits residing within her. Now, in the vernacular of the New Testament and even the Old Testament, when it's talking about that, it's talking about demon possession. And I certainly believe in demon possession. I believe that's a real deal thing. Uh, But if we want to just say it in terms that we would understand today, she was flat out crazy. (laughs) And I don't mean that in a demeaning way at all. Because if we're honest, if, if we're all honest, and we get out of our Sunday, Easter Sunday, dress-up kind of attitude, if we're honest, we'd have to acknowledge that all of us got a little bit of that crazy in us. Crazy, where our emotions are overwhelmed and lead us to a life that is just insane, leads us to do things that are incomprehensible, things that are going to lead to our own pain and sorrow and chaos. It's going off the edge of the cliff. All of us have done it. Mary just did it more often, perhaps. Mary was a hot mess, but then she met Jesus. Again, in Mark 16, verse 9, it says that that Jesus chased away those evil spirits. Again, in our vernacular, what Jesus did is he gave her a solid footing upon which to stand, gave her a new way to look at herself and look at life, gave her a new heart, a new mind, a new life, a new perspective. Everything changed in her life when she met Jesus. She was forgiven. She was cleansed. She was made whole when she met Jesus. And so she began to follow him. I mean follow him, hot on his footsteps. She began to pursue him, to learn from him, to, to be passionately committed to him because he was her hero. Now many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've experienced Jesus in that way. He has changed your life. He has made you whole. He, is, he has overwhelmed you with God's love. You know what I'm talking about. You once were a hot mess, but then you were rescued by God's grace. You know what I'm talking about, Right? But then Jesus, her hero, was killed. I can't, I can't begin to describe the kind of doubt that that raised in her. Maybe it wasn't real. Maybe, maybe... Maybe those evil spirits are going to return. Maybe the crazy is going to take over again. Maybe maybe I'm, I'm not going to be able to stand solid uh, on solid ground any longer. Just maybe, maybe my, my grief is going to overwhelm me and, and I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So I have this fear that begins to soak in my soul. And then, and then here is death. And not only death, but death is doubled because they've taken away the body of my Lord. Mary Magdalene, in that moment, in that graveyard, was defeated. So the angel said, why are you weeping? Great question. Not just for Mary Magdalene, but for us today. Why are you weeping? You see, it it wasn't just the the fact that, that her life was derailed with the death of Jesus. It wasn't merely that, that, uh, that uh, the pain of her existence was, was then uh, uh, awakened again. It, it wasn't just that they stole the Lord's body. It, it was the same brokenness that all of us experience. It, this is what happens because of sin. And I mean sin in its real form, sin that you know and that I know. See, this is what sin does. Sin breaks us. Sin destroys us. The reason the reason we battle with the pain of sorrow and fear of tomorrow and the defeat and despair of death is because of sin. That's it. The reason life feels broken is because of sin. Sin in the big picture, but also sin because of you and me. Our sin. In Romans chapter in Romans chapter uh, uh, 5, verse 12, it says that, that through one man, sin entered the world. Talking about Adam back in Genesis chapter 5. Through one man, sin entered, uh, sin entered the world. So Adam rebelled and it sent us all on this crash course to despair. And then in Romans five twelve, it continues and said, not only did sin enter the world, but then death entered the world. So it's not just that sin began to reign, death began to reign. And it's not just sin and death began to reign, but then we uh, we became overwhelmed by both sin and death because we have all sinned. What destroys our life, what creates a chasm and a cacophony of pain is because of sin. Because of sin, sorrow rules. Fear wins and death reigns supreme. That's what happens because of our sin. So when the angels ask, why are you weeping? And you and I hear that question. Can we say we know why we're weeping? Life is broken. I am broken. That's what sin does. Why are you weeping? I, I know that, that in my family, they're There is weeping. My wife, my precious wife, has experienced the pain of sorrow, fear of tomorrow, and the despair of death. Three decades ago, when my wife was 23, she gave me permission to say it that way. Three decades ago, when my wife was 23, she was a young, single lady having fun with her friends. She and her friends had gone off to uh, have a great weekend and uh, floating down a, a cold river in South Texas, and as they're making their way, they get a call that she has to come back home, and she has to come back home now. You get that kind of call, you know that's not good news. Edie was asking the questions, what's going on, what's going on? And finally, her brother-in-law told her. See, her dad, her dad was a working man. He, he, he worked on Pipeline and, and he worked uh, as a... Uh, as an independent contractor, where he'd go out into a marsh, and he would—he uh, had this contraption where he would dig uh, a trench in the marsh uh, with his equipment that he had built, and uh, and he'd be contracted out to oil companies in South Texas, Southeast Texas, uh, to 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 run the line like that. At this time, he was working on a highway, uh, supervising the the big equipment. Big equipment like uh, we have out at First Norfolk on Kempsville uh, as they're building the the off-ramp here. Uh, those big cranes that you see and have seen, that that's the kind of equipment that Edie's dad would oversee and and supervise, and supervise the running of it. Edie had gone by before she left town. She had gone by to see her dad in Devers, Texas, uh, and and he had given her some money for the for the fun time that she was going to have and then she took off with her friends not long after that something happened and the crane that they were taking apart fell hit her dad on the back of the head and he was killed instantly the pain of sorrow the fear of tomorrow and the despair of death whole family getting together back in Beaumont, Texas, weeping. Weeping in the real kind of way, uncontrollable, convulsing, out of grief and sorrow, the one that they love, their dad, their their rock, their fortress, their their hero, he's gone. As they're getting ready for her dad's memorial service on Sunday, Edie's sister-in-law begins to call everyone into the room in a panic. They go into the room and there on the floor is her mother. They didn't know exactly what was happening, but they knew it was serious. They knew it was bad. Her mother was having a heart attack. The picture is Edie getting down on her knees, tears streaming down her face. Her mama's head in her lap and Edie saying, Mama, Mama, please don't go. Mama, Mama, please be okay. And her mother breathed her last and died. The pain of sorrow. The fear of tomorrow and the defeat of death. That's how Mary felt as she was walking through the graveyard. That's how Mary felt when the angels asked, why are you weeping? Maybe that's how you feel when you look at your life. And maybe you haven't experienced those type of trauma in your life. Maybe, maybe it's not as as powerful or as poignant or such a big story, but but the reality is if all we have is our tears, and that's it, then we're left hopeless. If all Edie had were her tears, then she would be stuck in the pain and the fear and the despair. But then Jesus enters the scene. Here's the good news for us. Jesus enters the scene in the drama of our misery, in the pain of our everyday experience in life. Jesus comes calling. Calling. Jesus approaches Mary and and he says again the same question that the that the angels asked dear lady why are you weeping Whom are you seeking? Mary doesn't recognize him at first. But but those questions that Jesus is asking are more than just questions of kindness. They're questions to open her eyes to see that in this moment, in this very moment, as he is speaking to her, she should be witness to a great unveiling of God's love that has changed human history and could change her life. This is the unreal moment of God paving the road to victory for everyone who's captured by the pain of sorrow, the fear of tomorrow and the despair and defeat of death. Here is Jesus alive from the dead. But Mary couldn't see it was Jesus because of her pain. Through the tears that she was crying, through the sorrow of her soul, she couldn't recognize Jesus. And maybe that's who you are. Maybe here today you, you, you're so captured by your pain that you can't see Jesus and all of his power and all of his glory and all of God's love unleashed for you. Maybe today... Jesus will do what he did for Mary. See, Jesus didn't stop by just asking a question. He knew he didn't rec- she didn't recognize him. So he took it one step further. Jesus said one word that changed Mary's life. He said one word that that transformed her vision, her perspective, that returned her uh, uh, away from the brink of a hot mess kind of life. She she, she heard her name on the lips of Jesus like she had heard a hundred times before. She heard her name spoken in the tenderness and the compassion of her Jesus like she had heard a hundred times before. But now it came from the lips of one who was supposed to be dead, and now he's alive. And Jesus called her by name. And it was more than that. It was an invitation to come. It was an invitation to have a new perspective on the troubles of life. It's an invitation to follow after Him and experience the power of God's amazing love that can defeat even death itself. It was an invitation to follow after Jesus. And today, today maybe you can hear Jesus in the deepest places of your heart and soul. Maybe you can hear Jesus calling your name. The amazing thing is that Jesus in that moment invited Mary to move beyond her pain and taste perpetual victory. He he invited Mary to move beyond her her bitterness and her grief and and experience God's love in in a way that she could have never imagined before. Jesus invited her, and he invites us to join him in the victory that his death and resurrection provides. You see, if all we have are our tears, we're hopeless. If all Mary had were her tears, she would remain defeated. If all Edie had were her tears, it wouldn't be enough. Edie on the floor of her parents' bedroom. Her dad has gone. And now her mama's head is in her lap. And Edie and the whole family in that room, weeping, sobbing, begging. Oh, mama, please don't leave us. Oh, Mama, please be okay. And Martha Lee breathes her last. And if all we have is that, then we're in trouble. But that's not all we have. You see... Like Mary, Edie had encountered Jesus and Jesus had transformed her life. Jesus had taken her as a young girl and given her a new perspective and a new life. And here, as she's kneeling on the ground, her mother's head in her lap and listens to her mother breathe her last. It's in that moment that Jesus comes and calls Edie by her name and says, here I am. Let me trade in the pain of your sorrow and give you comfort. Let me trade in the fear of your tomorrow and give you hope. Let me overwhelm the defeat and the despair that death brings. And let me give you victory. I'm with you. Here I am. Not just then, but hundreds of times since then. And the daily details and daily reminders of the loss of her parents. These triggers that awaken the pain and the fear and the despair come. But in those moments, make no mistake, Jesus is still alive. Romans chapter 8 says that because Jesus is risen, he is making intercession for us right now. He's stretching out his hand. He's calling us by our name. And he invites you who are followers of His, to take hold of His hand and experience again in a fresh new way the victory that His death on the cross for your sin and His resurrection from the dead provides you. Oh friend, if you're a follower of Jesus today, this is the day we celebrate. This is the day we remember. This is the day that we rehearse. This is the day we rejoice. This is the day we once again rest in the arms of the, of, the, of the one who is our king, who has conquered death, hell, and the grave. Because he lives, today I can live. Because he lives, I am no longer swallowed up in my despair. Because he lives, I'm no longer overwhelmed by my fear. Because he lives, I am no longer paralyzed by my sorrow. Today I have Victory. It is victory beyond death itself. I have victory because I'm following after Jesus. You see, the invitation that Jesus makes to Mary and to us and to all is to follow Him, and, and it's following Him toward victory. It's stepping on that road that God's love is paid in victory. You see, when we follow Jesus, we're following the sight giver. When we follow Jesus, we're following the wave walker. When we follow Jesus, we're following the storm tamer. When we follow Jesus, we're following the truth teller, the earth shaker, the peace maker, the sin killer. When we follow Jesus, we're following the death defeater. That's who we follow. And if you don't follow Jesus, if today you haven't followed Him, then you're still stuck in the sorrow and in the fear and in the defeat of death. Most of us, perhaps, in this room today, we have... Chosen to follow Jesus. And He has transformed our lives. He's changed us from the inside out. Now, I'm not talking about being a religious person. I'm not, I'm not talking about, about following a set of religious rules or traditions. That is that, that, that doesn't do any good other than just make you look a little bit better. But It doesn't change our heart and it doesn't give us victory. I always get in trouble a little bit from... From, from, from some of our church folk when I say this, and I say it pretty often, so I'm usually in trouble for saying stuff like this. But I've got to tell you the truth. It doesn't matter if you go to church one time a year or 52 times a year. It will do nothing to give you victory until you met Jesus. There is no way that you can do enough good stuff, go to church enough. There is no way that you can adopt a moral code or, or follow certain philosophical principles and that's going to give you victory and that's going to make you right with God. None of that works. We are not put on the road to victory because of the stuff that we do. We are put on the road to victory because of the stuff that God's love has done in the person of Jesus Christ. We didn't die for our sin. Jesus did. We weren't raised from the dead. Jesus was. We need to follow him. Stop following ourselves or the imaginations of our own minds or the minds of others. We need to start following after Jesus. He's the only one who can give us victory. And the change and the transformation that we need is a forgiveness for our sin and a new life that only he can bring. Today you're here and maybe you've never You've never embraced Jesus in a life-changing way. I'm not talking about being religious or moral or going to church or not going to church. I'm talking about having a transforming encounter with the living God through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, John chapter 20 verse 31, he said, These things I've written to you that, that, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, having faith in Jesus, you might Live. You might have life in His name. You might truly live. Some of you have not truly lived yet. You're still stuck in the graveyard, captured by your sin. See, Jesus died on a cross to pay the price for your sin. He's the only one who can forgive your sin and make you right with God. And Jesus was raised from the dead to give us new life. And He is the only one who can give us new life and victory over sin and death. Maybe you're here today and your heart's desire is to have that encounter with Jesus. You can hear in the secret place of your soul, you can hear Jesus calling your name. Will you turn to Him and follow Him? To follow Jesus means that We acknowledge and admit that our sin has separated us from God and there's nothing we can do to fix it. There is a chasm, a gulf fixed between us and God, between life and death, and we cannot cross that chasm. There's no amount of goodness that we can do to make up for the badness we've already done. So we admit that we are a sinner and we're hopeless in our sin, but we believe on Jesus. That means that that we uh, turn from our sin... And turn from our good works as a way to get us right with God. And we start trusting in Jesus. We see his death on the cross as the payment for our sin. We see his resurrection from the dead as the offering of new life. We are forgiven and made brand new because of his death and because of his resurrection. We believe on Jesus. And we commit to give him everything that we are. Not just a part of us, not just a one-day-a-week kind of commitment. We enter into a covenant with God by placing our faith in Jesus. We enter a covenant with God where we say, whatever Jesus says, I'll do. Wherever he tells me to go, I'll go. Whatever he wants, I'll, I'll follow. Wherever, wherever he leads, I'll go. This, this is the commitment that we make to follow Jesus we cross that line of faith and we become a follower of Jesus and in that moment this great transaction of grace happens in our life so that the empty place that our, our distance from God has created is now filled by the Spirit of God as we are brought into the very presence of God because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus we no longer live in the pain of our sorrow, the, uh, the, the uh, fear of tomorrow, the despair and, and defeat of death. Now we live with comfort and with hope and with victory through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Today, you're here and you need that. You want that. You're ready for that. Your heart's desire is to embrace Jesus. I invite you to do that today. Would you bow your heads, please? This morning, as you come, I invite you, if it is your heart's desire to embrace Jesus, I invite you to call upon Him. There's nothing magical about how we talk to God about this transaction of grace. This is a covenant that we're, that we're entering into. God has set the terms and we're uh, signing our life onto Him. We're saying, yes, yes to God we're saying we're saying yes God Jesus is my only hope he is my deliverer he's my rescuer now I need to enter into this and I commit to follow him all the days of my life but if it's your heart's desire to enter into that relationship to enter into that covenant, if you're ready to be set free from the bondage that your sin has created then I invite you to talk to the father We do that in prayer, in a prayer that goes something like this. Oh God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and my sin has separated me from you. And there's nothing I can do to fix it. I believe that Jesus is your son, that you sent him to die on a cross to forgive my sin. And that you raised him from the dead to give me new life. So today, oh God, I commit myself to follow Jesus. I give you all that I am because my only hope for victory, for life, for comfort is Jesus. So I relinquish control of my life to you. I am yours. Now God, thank you for forgiving my sin, for giving me life, and in putting me on this road to victory. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.